This is the Mooncast. Damn, let's go, dude. Dude, oh my god, it's so nice to uh, to finally meet you, man. Same, bro. Yeah. Where are you? Where are you located at? You're in Asia, right? Is that where you are, or where are you at? No, I'm in I'm in Bulgaria, bro. A Bulgaria? Yeah. Holy shit! Okay, yeah, that's good. So <laughs> it's, it's night, nighttime, your time then, huh? Yeah, it's almost nighttime. Yeah, it's uh, almost uh, seven o'clock now. Damn. Okay. Yes, I'm just waking up, so um, don't mind me. I'm drinking some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you're in you're in Las Vegas, right? Yep. Yeah. Born and raised out here, man. So it's a fun time you've been. Yeah, uh, no, I haven't been, but I always wanted to go. But, you know, I've been busy. I've been traveling the world for like 10 years now. Like I left I left the U.S. when I was what? 19. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> How come? Um, well, it started with the military. So I, I was four years in, in the U.S. Army, um, did a tour in Afghanistan. Oh, yeah, yeah. So once I got out, you know, um, I joined the military to travel. And once I saw how the rest of the world was, I was just more interested in that. So... I was doing that for a while. Like I, I got out of the military, then I moved back to Germany, studied international business, and then um, stopped doing that. Was working as a manager, quit that, and then just did, just basically gave my entire soul to Web three, like <laughs> completely. You know, like once you once you um, because what happened with me was um, I was in the stocks, and then uh, I was trading stocks a lot, and I kept hearing like Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. This is back in like twenty twenty. So you're, I think you've, you've been in a, a, a lot longer than me. I've only been in for like three years in the, in the markets. Hey, for three, years three years is eternity in crypto though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. But, you know, so for me, um, I kept hearing this thing, Bitcoin, and I was curious. And then, you know, next, you know, my, my uh, online broker, they integrated Bitcoin into the online brokerage. And I was like, okay, so what is it? What, what is this thing? You know? And then, so once I, you know, went into the Bitcoin white paper, started reading white paper, then I started going down the rabbit hole <laughs> of understanding. It's like, wait, what exactly is money? And then I started understanding decentralization versus centralization, and then just get got crazier and crazier. And I started understanding NFTs. Um, started joining these Telegram groups, getting a lot of information. Started connecting with Web three crypto nerds. It got insane, you know. Um, I, I basically was, uh, yeah. So this my the past bull run just happened was my first one, um, but I luckily was able to get in and take some profit some decent uh, level of profits because i got in in 2020 and um uh, you know right before things started really taking off in 2021 so um yeah you know but i learned a lot you got in right at the bottom of the bull bottom of the bear market right right in the beginning of turning to the bull so yeah i was just out of luck man honestly it's a good right place right time you know um but you know i learned a lot and honestly like i think this space the way it's going I, I see it exponentially scaling a lot of things in the next five to 10 to 15 years. I just think people haven't realized the tokenization models, gamification models, and how they can be leveraged in their business. You know, I'm, you start to see Amazon and, and Apple and all these different types of uh, companies, these Web2 companies starting to leverage a little bit of the tokenization models. So, yeah. yeah, Amazon's launching their own marketplace, I believe, in a month or two. And from what I hear from some of my friends that, uh, are working with the Amazon Marketplace. They're also mm-hmm. launching their own blockchain uh, alongside it. 
as well. So yeah. you can see all of these large corporations will probably have their own private blockchain scheme as well, which is more just like a glorified database. But yeah. it's, it's just for, you know, it's just kind of like a further validation that the, the places here, that the industry is here to stay, even uh, amidst of all the scams and all the craziness that happens. Right. Yeah. It's a, a no man's land. It's a kind of a, gl a glorified <laughs> casino for the most part, but, uh, the the rate that the space is evolving now comparative to when i got in in 2016 is dude it's a, it's accelerating at an exponential rate so it's really really awesome to see yeah you see all the smart money and a lot of the smartest people in the world are starting to enter the space you know um i don't know like if you just look at even um i was a uh, also heavily into the Cardano ecosystem too as well. And I saw that they're, um, they're paying a lot of their Haskell devs like $20,000 a month. So it's like, I, I don't know how many Web2 companies are paying that, you know, for the, for the developers. But um, I think it's just more lucrative, you know, especially what the space is, is standing for, you know, the decentralization and, you know, these tokenization gamification models. Like I really, really, really have high hopes for this space. And I think that once I think the main issue, this is why I got into the education business, you know, um, I think that's the that's the main issue. I think people lack education. They don't understand nodes. They don't understand staking. They don't understand DeFi. They don't understand metaverse. Like they don't understand how to set up a wallet properly. They don't understand not your keys, not your crypto. They don't even understand the difference between FTX versus like, you know, a decentralized exchange like a Uniswap. You know, for them, it's like it's all the same. They just package it all the same. And it's like, you know, there's a there's a clear education gap and i think we need help to fulfill like sort of fill in that gap and also i think another thing too as well is just um the onboarding process you know i think that that's an issue too because you know i tried to explain it to my dad how to like set up a wallet and he just like he gave up like you know <laughs> he's like he's like what is metamask like, i don't get why is there a fox as the logo this looks like a, like a video game like what is this you know yeah one one of the the recent uh, EIPs that was passed. I think it's called EIP four the, the four four three three seven. Yeah, it's hard to keep some yes. of the numbers uh, or, or intact. But yeah, the idea of just yeah. like a account abstraction to just have people create a wallet and and operate it, just very similar to you know just using like Venmo, a Cash App, or something like that. You want to have that as simplistic as possible, uh, so that you can you know have grandma or have you know your your best friend Steve who has no idea how to how to use finance in any in any sense is yeah. uh, where, where we're going. It's gonna take a little while, you know. When I I've been in this like I said I've been in this space now seven years and when we got in 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 twenty seven or when I when I was started becoming very active in twenty seventeen in the very beginning, we thought that. You know, by the time we are in the position we are today, you know, we'd have billions of people already in it, but it's it's scaled a lot slower because um, blockchains do have a lot of inefficiencies, right? They're they're rather and particularly pretty slow comparative to some you know centralized companies. It's things mm -hmm. like Facebook and Google can scale much faster than you know things like the graph, right? Which is trying to be like <laughs> Google, right? Or mm -hmm. Lens, which is trying to be a decentralized social media platform. These things mm -hmm. are highly inefficient and are gonna take a lot of time. So in the meantime, people tend to speculate on things like meme coins, right? It's kind of like one of the narratives that we're seeing right now because uh, people just wanna make money and people wanna test out new technologies. It's unfortunate, mm -hmm. you know, you do get a lot of the grifters and scammers and fraudulent actors and 
I come in close contact with these type of people with the company that I work at, at Emblem Vault. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're going to go away. And, uh, you know, maybe it's maybe it's kind of this idea of like they're a feature, not a bug. Uh, right. Maybe it's just it, it helps in a, in a sense, you know, it makes the the community stronger and this kind of idea of self-governance that happens on crypt- in crypto uh, from things like, you know, using governance tokens to vote on follow on DAOs to just communities that are able to, you know, point out the scammers and go through on-chain analytics, right? I, I think most people are familiar with people like, with like Zach XBT, who puts out like all the threads on all the different scammers. So the self-governance uh, has increased uh, quite drastically since I've joined as well, which, uh, you know, they become kind of like the commu- the citizen police in, in essence. Yeah. And that, that's a beautiful component because you do not see that happening in the real world at all. Yeah. No, I, I think the scamming, though, at the end of the day, it's never going to go. I mean, if you look at the Internet, right? I mean, you still get the phishing scams. You still get the people, you know, the emails they try to get you. And it, it just never goes away. You know, um, my dad's gotten scammed from, you know, the Internet company. He thought it was an Internet company. And, you know, he paid the money for the shirt that he wanted and never received the shirt, you know. And so these types of things happen. And I think the the main thing, again, is just the education portion of being able to do the screening, you know, and that's why I think um, a lot of times uh, content, again, this is why I always refer back to content, you know, because a lot of times now, you know, if I have clients or whatever, they go to my content, you know, they want to see my content. They want to see, is this guy a real person? How does he talk? Is he confident? Does he actually know what he's talking about? Where can I find him? You know, if he scams me, you know, how can I take legal action against him? X, Y, and Z. And so um, I think it's important to do your due diligence as a person in general, instead of just tossing money around. I mean, you see now, if you look now, I mean, are we in a are we in a bull run? You know, I mean, you see, you see we're in we the, got like we're in the, the early. Hey, we're in the early stages of it. It does feel like this is the the beginning of that that fourth fourth bull run, so fourth or fifth. I can't even keep count anymore. When you look at the beginning of all the other bull runs, uh, typically it starts with shitcoin trading or altcoin trading. Generally, it's mm-hmm. Doge who's the leader, and then what happens with Doge? It pumps, right? It has these like huge volatile swings upwards. And then people take that money and then it starts getting spread around the ecosystem because people want to take that 10x and then multiply to 100x, right? Then 1,000x. And then they want to retire and leave and, and go away forever. And so this time it happened with Pepe, the Pepe token, where it went from literally zero to a billion dollars in 20, 23 days. Fastest financial asset ever to reach a billion dollar market cap. So and that money you're starting to see getting spread around um, to different types of meme coins that are trading in Ethereum. And then on the other side, uh, I've been hanging around a lot with the Bitcoin NFT ecosystem with, with ordinals and BRC20s. And it's mm-hmm. also going through a similar renaissance, uh, not drastically to the, quite to the scale of you know, meme coin trading on Ethereum because there's just like, there's just a lot more liquidity that exists there. But with BRC20s specifically, right, they're around $500 million market cap. And people are, people are minting, you know, people are making $10,000 to $100,000 in a week, you know, riding some of these that are going up, you know, 500% in, in a few days and things like that. Um, so you have to take a little bit more of scalping strategies, as you mentioned, you know, you're a trader too. I, I started out trading Forex in 2016 and then came mm-hmm. across Ethereum summer 2016. 
So I also have those, uh, you know, some of those skills of leverage trading and, you know, margin trading and, and options mm-hmm. and, and some of these types of ideas. Um, yeah. Because we all, at the end of the day, it's funny. When I came, when I came into it, the cliche was came for the tech, stayed for the gains. And now I think it's opposite, actually. I think now it's, most people come for the gains and stay for the tech is, is how it's completely flipped because most are aware, you know, that you could mint yourself and become a millionaire in a few days, which, which happens quite, quite, uh, mm-hmm. quite often. Unfortunately, it's not me yet, <laughs> but we, we all, we all kind of want it. Uh, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Dude, it's a, it's a really fun time. And, uh, I would, I would right now, I would be packing my bags for this bull run that's about to happen, right? Or this could just be a bear market rally, typically, right? You write a bull trap, which a lot of people like to say. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is this summer, uh, I've made some allocations, mostly into the Bitcoin uh, NFT ecosystem for now, because that's just where my interest is. Just meme, meme coin trading is kind of soulless uh, in essence. Some people like it, right? It's just a game of kind of Ponzi's kind of game like, uh yeah. selling your bags to the to the next person at a higher price with no utility yeah. and I, I really... <laughs> that's literally how it is though man that's dude that's that's meme coin trading uh i i do work with like a handful of friends who are like pretty big in like the pepe ecosystem and meme coins and there's this like circulating idea right now around this idea of like it's called meme fi right like financialized memes and we we do promote this this you know it's kind of like a a good conversation of if memes are the internet's uh, medium of exchange uh, like for example NFTs people sell tokenized memes value the idea of value is changing and if value is changing because the internet tends to transact through images rather than thin currencies. How do you build a financial ecosystem around these types of memes? So this idea of like memefi um, is emerging and people are trying to take something like Pepe. It's like, how do you support a meme economy? You have a currency of Pepe, right? You have rare Pepes and all these different Pepes that are NFTs. What else? Like, is there financial products or do meme, or does the meme coins uh, just be propped up by shitposts like forever? Uh, you know, <laughs> which, is, which, is, which, is, which is also com- completely possible. Yeah. But to me, if you want to have some sort of like uh, sustained growth, there needs to be some infrastructure or some meme infrastructure that is built around it. But to what degree it is, who who knows? I actually, I actually have an interesting theory about this. I think the landscape of business is going to change. I actually think that businesses, well, this actually ties a little bit back into my content argument too as well. I think the main thing that you should do is how I recommend people who are trying to start a business or anything now is to leverage either a tokenization model or to put out content for a few years and grow a community. Tokenization model, you can leverage to grow that community through marketing, right? And once you have the community and people buy in, then you can decide together with the community on what product or service you want to launch. And I think this is actually a new form of business that hasn't seen been seen before or we haven't realized the potential yet of it. But I don't know what you think about this theory, but I think this is this is potentially something that we can see more so more common in the next three, four, five years. Yeah, in 2017. So when crypto first started, it was all about Bitcoin. And uh, so my some of my background too, just just to put some information out there. I've been in the space since 2016. I got into NFTs full time around 2021. 
Um, and my entrance into NFTs was this idea of like historical NFTs. There was this thing called the Mooncat Rediscovery where when NFTs started blowing up in uh, 2021, um, some individuals came across a contract called Mooncats, which was created right after CryptoPunks in 2017. It was 25,000 pixelated cats and 5,000 of them had been claimed. 20,000 of these had not. And back in 2017, when NFTs were kind of like in this early emergence period, everything was generally for free. CryptoPunks were claimed for free. Mooncats were claimed for free. KO cards were like a dollar. CryptoKitties were, were essentially free. So all the Ether rocks were essentially free. And at the time, Mooncats, when they were found in March of 2021, they were considered the second oldest NFT on Ethereum. And this really piqued my interest and caught my attention. Uh, I used to own an antique store out here in Las Vegas. Uh, it was my first business in 2017. Uh, my father had done things like storage wars and antique hunters and all this different stuff. And so that captured my attention. And I really decided to dive into that little crevice of, of the internet of NFTs called essentially just like digital antiquities. And so from there, I started doing all this different research, participating in this like NFT archaeology movement. And so I got to learn a lot about history and learning that, you know, NFTs go all the way back to actually 2011. And when you start dabbling in all these different blockchains on like Namecoin in 2011, early Bitcoin NFTs in 2014, Dogecoin NFTs in 2014, et cetera, you start seeing all these different trends that are emerge that that emerge. And they have been particularly the same on every blockchain and maybe just like a little bit of a variety of a way. And and what, what I'm getting at this is when crypto first started, it was all about Bitcoin. And then Namecoin was a second altcoin that popped up in 2011. And so in the, those early days, it was Bitcoin. And then when Ethereum came out and the whole ICO boom started happening in 2017, then it became blockchain, not Bitcoin. And now, and, and during that time when it was blockchain, not Bitcoin, there's this idea of tokenization and tokenize everything. We're going to tokenize everything, right? We're going to put Dentacoin popped up, right? We're putting the dental registries on the blockchain, right? We're, we're putting whatever on the blockchain. And it faded for a while. And then it's, it felt like then it became back to Bitcoin, not blockchain in essence, right? And this is where you kind of got this like Bitcoin maximalist culture. And with NFTs emerging, then I think it just like reignited that imagination all over again. Then it was like, no, we're going to tokenize everything all over again. And I think through the empowerment of NFTs with this idea of non-fungibility and being able to assign tokenized or tokenization to things that are not currency denominated um, is unlocking the true potential of crypto. And I do think that there are going to be tokenized models in most future businesses, whether it's five years or 10 years or 15 years, like you'd said. And we're starting to see this a little bit now. I mean, I live out in Las Vegas and I had worked with the Gaming Control Board, City of Las Vegas, uh, UNLV, which is the, the university out here, about trying to figure out ways for to add tokenized models into you know, the casino industry, the educational models and things like that. And we had tried different things. We had done like a Jabberwockies uh, ticketing NFT event experience at MGM. At Circa, they had done a Vegas Vicky uh, NFT project, which is just kind of like a weekend trip. We just saw Stations Casino recently out here, just added an NFT to their uh, casino rewards where you basically put this NFT, things called like Station Charms or something like that. 
And the more that you gamble, the the more your rewards are are multiplied, um, so that you know you can get like better comps and different things like that. And same with Starbucks, right? We saw we see Starbucks with their Odyssey project is doing NFTs, right? They're just basically taking what they have already of like a, a reward system or a loyalty system, and they're just putting it on the blockchain, uh, which to me I think is like the more probable uh, outcome of of tokenizing uh, either real world assets or adding tokenized models into businesses because mm-hmm. a lot of these things that exist already, you can literally just move to a blockchain and create a more transparent and maybe frictionless experience for your users already. And it's much different than right coming in and trying to propose like a whole new tokenized business model and create it because most people yeah. don't really understand it. Reddit actually did a really good job of adding blockchain to their user experience with their the reddit avatars and you don't even realize that they are blockchains like i had created an avatar and then when that first boom happened of reddit nfts i didn't realize that it was on polygon and i was like oh i own some i made some of these i didn't even know that it was like uh, i didn't even know that it was on polygon so those mm-hmm. kind of experiences is exactly what we need uh to onboard the future you know multiple billions of people into the space and to add tokenized models, I think it's going to come down to uh, whatever type of specific business that you're operating. If you're a corporation like Amazon, it's going to be easier to just like take things that you have already and tokenize it. And then maybe people like ourselves who are in crypto, who are trying to you know, create a business around what are we doing, right? Whether we're capital allocators or mm-hmm. you know, working for an infrastructure company, we already start with tokenization first and then try to build a business model second. Whereas the opposite for a lot of these corporations is going to be take their current business model, find out where the tokenization method is, and then implement it that way. Yeah, got it. Yeah, I had a a couple interesting theories about that, too, as well, like examples in which use cases that NFTs could be leveraged, you know, like, for instance, if you look at YouTube, right, Um, say I'm grossing, let's say, like $100,000 in Google AdSense revenue every single year. And I want to scale faster. What I could do is maybe uh, issue out an NFT, issue out maybe like, let's say 1,000 NFTs, right? And I issue that out to the community. Community buys it. And when the community buys it, why would they buy it? Well, I'm doing maybe issuing like a rev share model, right? So now I'm like running and operating like a business where I'm basically doing monthly reports of showing you how much Google AdSense I'm making. And then I'm taking 10% of that. And then I'm like, let's say uh, swapping it into ETH or whatever. And then I'm, I'm uh, distributing that in some kind of way, shape, form or fashion to the token holders. Right. And um, why would they, you know, what would be the, the, the benefit for me is they would be more incentivized to like, share, comment my content to scale my content because it gets them more revenue, you know, and then and then my content would scale more. And so over the course of time and then you have a loyal fan base of a thousand people, you know, of like stormtroopers that like, you know, wouldn't. Uh, want to want to leave you, you know, at any point in time, you know, because they own the NFT, then NFT becomes more valuable as the revenue appreciates over the course of time. So I think this is a, and also you have access to global liquidity, you know, that's, that's the main thing too, as well, because, you know, there's no like, you know, KYC and stuff. It's just like, Hey, anyone can have access to ETH. Anyone can have access to, you know, Matic, you know, whatever. And so this is like basically one of the models that I was thinking about too, as well. Also as well, if you look at the emergence of artificial intelligence, right? Um, that's another thing that's huge for me because I'm seeing that as you see the deep fakes are coming out right now, you know? And so I'm saying, okay, well, how are we going to verify that? Well, we can leverage the blockchain, you know? And so it could serve as a catalyst actually to 
increase the, the uh, exponentially scale the the uh, advancement of, of uh, blockchain technology and the adoption of blockchain technology you know um just because of the fact that you know a, i don't know a 10 year old in i don't know iran can make a video of joe biden talking to you know president putin about something but it's not actually real you know because we're going to get to that point and so how do we verify that something's real and not we're going to have to encrypt it on chain right i mean if there's a, any other viable solution let me know but i think that this is going to serve as a catalyst actually to increase the adoption of uh, blockchain technology but let me know what your thoughts are on that are you familiar with who sam altman is uh no he's the founder of OpenAI, which is ah like, yes 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 the name the name was uh very familiar yeah yeah, yeah. him and so um he, he's trying to tackle this with it's pretty dystopic the project when you look at it kind of frontward facing world coin uh they launched this in 2020 yes and yes, yes. Of this exact issue is it, when ai takes over or we'll say when when ai is more integrated into society how do you know that the person is real on the other side? And so their solution to this is uh, a retina scanned database of human profiles, which are linked to, uh, I guess, all of your different accounts across the internet through the blockchain. And it, it, it sounds dystopic, right? Because you're like, oh, wow. I've seen, I've seen this playbook before, right? We've seen 23andMe sell people's DNA data, right? After, you know, you're trying to figure out who your long lost sister is. We've seen Facebook manipulate data, right? All the tech tech companies manipulate data, even sell it right to the highest bidder in terms of the Cambridge Analytica thing, right? To sway elections. So if this company who's co-found, who co-founded, right? The AI is to take over in this example. What are they going to do with all my retinas, right? With all the retina scans scanned <laughs> in a database, right? That can, can completely be manipulated, especially on a blockchain of some sort. I don't think they've put out like all the technicals uh, to it, if it's private, public, or whatever the situation is. You know, but that's, I mean, that's one solution. And people are really trying to think through this of how do you, how do you combat a world where in... 20 years, the majority of your interactions are going to be with, with an AI of some sort, whether it's, whether it's an AI bot form, right? Commenting on or replying to all your Twitter posts to uh, a deep fake that's trying to manipulate you to shit, probably AI social media influencers that, right? In 10 years from now, if I go on a, a guest show, could literally just be an AI interviewer, right? That's just has a, a 3D avatar model and looks like a human, but it's not and talks exactly like one as well. <laughs> and and from there, they know specifically what to ask because they can go through my entire internet history. They can listen to all the different podcast episodes, the transcripts, and be able to to output the best questions. And so does that and does that degrade the, the experience, right? Or does that improve society? Because now you're just kind of getting straight to the point. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite terrifying to think about. It's also too uh, quite alleviating to know that eventually you're just gonna, everyone's just going to cut through all the bullshit because you're just talking to an AI. Uh, whether, I don't think it's like a general AI. I think general AI is kind of pretty far away from what people are terrified of. Mm -hmm. But these these AIs that are created specifically for you know a few different objectives, 
uh, we just get to cut cut through all the fluff, and uh, that's that's very exciting as well. But the deep fake stuff is, of course, terrifying. But man, yeah, the future. Most people, you don't know what's going to be real, what's not. Uh, so trying to tackle that problem um, is going to be a very lucrative opportunity for whoever can figure that out. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, and I think that people aren't, they haven't really understood the effect of this, you know, because you you have like an open software that's out that anyone can get access to and get information from all the data sets that's ever been, you know, that exist in human history, you know, and we've never had something like that. And then it can, you can prompt it and give it commands and it automatically boop, just, just squirts out whatever you need, which is absolutely insane. And I look at it from the perspective of every single vertical I think will be affected. If you look at even like, for instance, the venture capital industry, I think a lot of businesses are going to like, if you, if you want to, because you're going to be able to cut a lot of cost, right? Because you'll be able to have eventually like a virtual assistant is what I'm thinking. And imagine you'll be able to just give it prompts and commands like, hey, uh, build a SaaS eventually, you know, <laughs> and then it just boop, 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 boop. And then, yeah, build the front end. I want the front end like this. And I'll move this over here. And it's just basically I think we'll get to that point where it's just moving everything around for you. And so it literally lowers. So I think it won't be out of the realm of possibility where we'll see a 15 year old in, I don't know, Kenya, you know, uh, becoming some kind of like multimillionaire, building something, basically using just leveraging AI. You know, I think we'll get to that point where because the operational costs are getting less and less. So valuations will eventually have to go down. You look at education, too, as well. The um, the expenses are going to go to zero, I think. Right. Because what is the what is the point of going to school when the AI can just basically give me the curriculum that I need? What is, the, what is the point? Like, oh, I need a law. I, give me all the information I need to pass the bar. Boop, 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 boop. And then you just go ahead, uh, study the information. You say, put it on a 10-week time span. You literally can prompt it to do anything. And so it'll give you all the requisite data that you need. And you can leverage that data to be able to facilitate the thing that you need in real life. And so, yeah, man, it's, it's a very, very... I, for me, I'm not scared. I'm actually like, uh, I'm looking for ways to actually capitalize, you know? <laughs> That's the right, yeah. it's the right. It's exactly the right idea to have those who have the ability and I guess the willingness to tie in AI and utilize it to uh, create a more efficient product or project for whatever you're working on are going to be the ones who, who win. It's the same thing that happened with the mobile wave. Those who are able to you know, use the smartphone and apps to their advantage, especially the early app days, same with the internet. It's the same mm -hmm. time of stuff that happens with every technology. Yeah. And uh, yes, a lot of humans are going to be displaced from their jobs, but it's going to also create a lot of, of new jobs. I think creativity is going to have a huge premium uh, in the future, maybe even in the immediate future. You have new jobs popping up, right? Like a prompt person on the internet, especially even in crypto, right? There's a bunch of jobs that didn't exist three, four years ago. Things like community managers, uh, right? Things like uh, right? smart contract dev work is increasing. Even some of our, de our devs on our own team at Emblem use ChatGPT to write code too, right? It's almost like we have two or three people and uh, we're paying minimum wage, we're paying, what is it, $50 yeah. a month for ChatGPT, something like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of these teams too, you need less capital actually to scale yes. uh, because you don't have to pay for a lot of the, the different jobs or a lot of the dev work. But what, what you do need then is if you are operating in a, on a small team, like a, like where we are, we're, we're a pretty small team who 
you know, has a, a, hundreds of millions of dollars in assets and, and vaults. We, you have to have a creative direction of where to take it. You have to be able to diagnose how communities are responding to you and then use that creative direction to put into ChatGPT or to whatever coding tools that you're using to help build those types of models. So things like marketing and branding are probably going to become even more expensive because that trust value is going to, in is going to increase because you don't know if you're talking to an AI, if you're talking to a human, and just knowing that that person's a human and creative and that you can have conversations like this, right? Or I could go meet them in person or them in person. You will pay more for that type of stuff. Things like consulting probably will, will increase. Although I know a lot of people think that those types of businesses are going to be displaced. If there's a human interaction with it and there's creativity and branding and marketing, um, it's going to increase uh, quite drastically. So yeah. I'm excited for it. I'm excited for it. I'm trying to find ways to use AI. Right now, I mostly just use it for just simple stuff. I know I'm not using it to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. uh, generally for uh, mostly proofreading um, and just kind of like looking up different types of information. Yeah. Some of the things that you see online are, are crazy. Uh, trading, right? Trading ideas, trading strategy. Yep. Coding. I've that's a great that's a great segue because actually um, I'm going to potentially partner with a uh, AI trading bot software that someone someone built. Right. And um, yeah, actually, um, they're, they're, I'm, I'm releasing a podcast on Monday in regards to that. that it, uh, it makes a minimum of three percent returns monthly, three to six percent returns, but minimum three percent monthly. And yeah, it's powered by, by artificial intelligence. And um, they've been around since 2020. And um, yeah, so they leverage the the software to and they also have access to 14 API plugins for different centralized exchanges as well. And so they're actually a non-custodial software. Right. And so you deploy your capital into a centralized exchange and then uh, you give it the, the API, the access to trade. Right. And then they're able to do uh, trades for you and then they invoice you every single month. So it's a super interesting business model. And so I'm going to test it out first to see how it goes, how it works. And stuff like that but i think we're going to see a lot more of this and this is going to be more prevalent so then i wonder like what's going to happen to the hedge funds if we can if someone can just build a software leverage the ai to be able to build the software at the trade better than a human can you know judge market sentiments track all the different uh reporting metrics that you need and be able to facilitate um high levels of returns yep. you know then what is the point of having you know a hedge fund so much verticals are going to be affected from it you know and it's it's interesting man so but yeah, yeah, it's great that you mentioned that. And also, I wanted, I wanted to ask you too as well about, because um, you, you talked about BRC20, right? And so I haven't, I haven't delved too much into it, right? But I had an interesting theory anyways, because of the emergence of, B, what is there, BRC20, there's like what, SRC20, I think like ORC20, it's like all these different 20s popping up, you know? <laughs> and um, so I had an interesting theory, because now if you see we're in, we're in a, air quotations, bear market, right? And um, you see the fees of Bitcoin going up, right? And we're we're not even the, the volume isn't what it what it could be optimized at during the bull run. So my theory, in terms of my investment thesis, is that you're going to see basically Bitcoin is going to be unusable at layer one. And I think that I'm looking into like stacks, looking into Liquid, looking into Mint Layer, these layer two side chain scaling solutions. 
And I'm seeing that as potentially suitable investment opportunities, you know, but I don't know how you're how you're looking at that, you know, because I think people are going to have to start doing things off chain, you know, going to these layer twos and then I'm um, selling and then um, doing the transaction there and then selling it on the on the Bitcoin layer one. But I don't know how you're basically looking at it from that perspective that you think that those would be maybe suitable uh, alternatives, you know, to the situation that's happening now. The Bitcoin ecosystem is innovating at rapid pace it's it's quite wild to watch how ordinals got onto the scene i think in december is when it was deployed i, I had actually talked with casey who was the founder of ordinals me adam mcbride and lee nidus we had a spaces with casey rodemar in august of last year like very early and when we had talked with him we were just talking about this idea of like rare sat hunting like finding sats from 2009 from the earliest blocks and from like a collector's mentality kind of just collecting it i'm a big collector i'm not as much of a trader as i used to be um although i'm getting back into it through brc20 which which we'll get into and he never discussed the idea of inscriptions of like putting that arbitrary data up to four megabytes inside of blocks and creating nfts i just thought like collecting old sats was cool and so when the inscriptions started popping off in January, I was like, oh my God, this is this is insane, right? Like what's what's the use case? And eventually it like doesn't even matter. I didn't even inscribe anything, right? It's like you had to have a whole full node and you had to have all this different stuff to it, right? I'm not like I'm not a dev, but I can understand like all the concepts and get to the point for most things. And so the ordinals explosion happened. You had these like sub 10Ks and different kinds of things. And then it kind of cooled off for about you know, three weeks to a month. And then BRC20s popped up. And I was like, so you had NFTs now, and now you're taking these sats and uh, you're creating fungibility, fungible tokens. In essence, it's kind of archaic how it actually all works. But there's individuals who are now building on top of it. And I'm actually working with uh, some friends who are kind of trying to build a product to it. This idea of layer one DeFi on Bitcoin uh, is populating and uh, it seems like it's going to become a reality. If people trying to build like borrowing and lending platforms, you're trying to have them build AMMs and DEXs and mm -hmm. you, think, you, think, you think it happened at layer one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's there's some trade offs to it. So with BRC20. You have on-chain assets because what you're doing is you're just literally just putting a text file on inside of a inside of a SAT, which is a JSON, right? And so it's it's human readable. People can understand what it is. As long as you just understand like kind of have the format for it. So what individuals are doing now is you have on-chain assets and people are building something called an indexer. And an indexer is basically just like a rule set uh to execute contracts or to execute types of uh commands and what an indexer essentially is is almost like a private blockchain where it's just an arbitrary set of rules so that uh so that these platforms in these marketplaces like unisat for example can follow these and, and know like what when a transfer function is released when something is bought and sold etc and so now you have this point of centralization that's being created on top of these decentralized assets that are on chain on layer one and so there's a big movement now of like trying to create these decentralized indexers. The issue becomes though, is that if you are going to engage in this like layer one Bitcoin DeFi, which there's, I 
recently just created like a whole spreadsheet of like different assets of BRC20s of people trying to do different types of things. You have like launch pads and all kinds of different stuff. And it really is mimicking DeFi summer of 2020. And the ordinals craze was really mimicking, you know, NFT summer in 2021. And they're both just happening at such fast, rapid rates. And it's because everyone realizes the gigantic opportunity that exists because Bitcoin's market cap is literally $500 billion or 600 or whatever it is. And if you're getting in on the ground floor of that and you can manage to get some of these uh, Bitcoin whales to put up some of this capital that they've been sitting on, right? $500 million, $2 billion, whatever it is, that is going to make a lot of people very rich, <laughs> like very, very rich. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people want layer one, right? Because there is this decentralization. It can't be, right? You can't be DMCA'd on OpenSea, right? If you go put like a Bitcoin punk, right? Bitcoin punks are like one of the popular collections. You go take a Bitcoin punk and you go inscribe it. It can't be taken down. Like OpenSea can go and DMCA assets, right? Because of trademark mm -hmm. stuff. Actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, at Emblem Vault, where I work, we actually just had yesterday, I think 2,000 Bitcoin apes were actually DMCA'd from our collection. Um, and yeah. so they're censored, right? I mean, you can still go trade them on LooksRare, right? Which is decentralized. You can still go find different ways to do this. But that can't happen on Bitcoin. It's just, it's too decentralized. There's, there's no governing body to it. It mm -hmm. can, in essence, if they go after the indexers, right? Which creates another type of kind of uh, attack vector. But the, this idea of Bitcoin DeFi and BRC20s, it's also kind of mimicking the ICO model of 20. It's starting to mimic the ICO model of 2017, where people are now like kind of pre-inscribing the entire, the entire supply and then doing like a whitelist and selling and stuff. So there's like three or four different narratives that have happened in crypto already that are all just kind of combined in this whole Bitcoin ecosystem. And it's all just happened in five months, which is quite crazy. BRC20 mm -hmm. just started in, in March. So it's really only been two months. And now you got the centralized exchanges, like mostly the, the Asian uh, influenced centralized exchanges like Binance, OKX, and Huobi are all kind of really just hopping into this game and going because Bitcoin has a huge, huge Asian community. I mean, uh, the earliest days started in, in China, right, with the whole China ban stuff. And that's where the minor centralization was for, for a while. Still might be partly there. But I think this is the biggest opportunity for everyone. And I'm, I'm very bullish on it. And I've been getting back and, you know, putting up my, uh, putting my, my trading boots back on. Um, from, <laughs> from the fungible standpoint, I kind of got away from it for the last year. Um, when everything kind of melted down and really just going and applying a bunch of these different strategies to it. And uh, it's worked out pretty far or pretty well so far. The trading volume is still quite low and people are built, building things like you're talking about layer twos stacks. And now there's something called like this Alex bridge, which I've been uh, dabbling in, which is a, a stacks L2 bridge where you could take like tether from Ethereum, you bridge it over, they give you synthetic asset of SUSDT. And then they built a BRC20 DEX where you can now go take like Tether, right? You're moving liquidity over mm -hmm. and then go trade. And they're trying to create these more efficient and liquid markets. But it is being bifurcated. BRC20s are being bifurcated across many different L2s. And then you have L1. And now you have centralized exchanges that are also trading it. So that creates an immense amount of opportunity. And as a trader, mm -hmm. you know, 
some of the biggest opportunities is actually arbitrage opportunities uh, because they become quite drastic in crypto. Uh, SBF claims he made the majority of his money through the thing called the chemistry premium in 2021, mm-hmm. 2017, right? Trading that 15% spread from America. Yes. And yes. just making boatloads of money. Whether you actually did it or not, who, who knows uh, right at this point. But these kind of arbitrage opportunities are now starting to pop up. Mm-hmm. And so you get these arbitrage opportunities, right? You're getting the you're getting more of the quantitative type traders, right? That are just trading PLs and numbers and they don't really care much about the assets itself. So huge opportunity, man. I highly recommend. It's just it's quite quick chaotic and it's it's it resembles the early days of ICO trading as well, because there's just not a lot of information out there. So you really mm-hmm. have to like go into Twitter, look at recent tweets. You have to go into the discords, right? You have to create your own types of DYOR mm-hmm. research with simple things like spreadsheets and things like that to really yeah. find out where the opportunities are. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, as far as the, the decentralized applications goes uh, on top of the layer one, for me, I kind of a little bit of contrarian, a little bit of a skeptic because, you know, I see the, the scalability issues now, you know, in regards to the trading volume and everything. So I'm like, what does this look like during a bull run? You know, when Bitcoin's over 100K, everything's pumping, meme, meme coins are pumping, BRC tokens are pumping. So it's like, could this, you know, are we, how long is it going to take me to facilitate a transaction? You know, is it going to take me a day? two days, how much is that going to cost? You know, does it then make sense to, to leverage the decentralized application at the, at the base layer? Or, you know, do I, do I port it over to an L2 and then just use it, use the Bitcoin um, base layer as a settlement layer? It's, it's just one of those like things that I guess we won't know until, you know, it's stress test, you know, because um, we're not we're not certain right now. But I do agree with you. I'm going to delve into more BRC20 um, because obviously I missed the first wave of the boat, you know, the 200 X's, the 800 X's and so on, you know, the, the crazy stuff that was pumping earlier because, um, I was super, super busy, but now, you know, I'm seeing the excitement and everything starting to shift towards there. I feel like it could be probably the biggest sleeper, you know, for the next bull run where we might have a couple of these, uh, tokens pump into the top 50 top, maybe even top 20, um, especially right right now uh so ordi is the number one brc20 and it's very similar to like how crypto or bitcoin started as well bitcoin when i got when i got into crypto bitcoin was like 90 i think bitcoin dominance was like 90 percent, 92 percent, or something like that mm-hmm. now down to around 30 or 40 ordi is literally the same thing it's like 70 or 80 percent of the entire brc20 market cap and the only reason why it is is because it was the first one. It was one that was created by Domo, who uh, was the one who created the BRC20 standard. So outside of that, like you see the trading volume of the one tokens number two through, I think they're at like 20,000 BRC20s that have been created or something. Uh, and the trading volume of these is literally six figures. Maybe even some of these are even less, maybe like $20,000, 30000 So the market cap, for a lot of these, are literally two million, three million, four million. So, if you want that eight hundred X, right? If, if they're going to get to the top fifty, in in essence, I think the market cap for Ordi right now is three hundred million dollars, which would put it somewhere in the top one hundred. Mm-hmm. These other ones, right? If you're take, if you get something that's a million dollar market cap and you ride it up to four hundred million dollar market cap to where Ordi is, right? That's a four hundred X right there from your initial investments, mm-hmm. and. 
there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of those opportunities and i'm trying to identify which ones i think those are it started out with a bunch of meme coins you had things like meme and pepe and i forget what it sheeb and you know just the yeah, standard shint shint yeah shint and pizza yeah. and all these long yeah. <laughs> but the utility ones are the ones that i think are going to have some legs of course there's meme coin trading is always going to be a, a thing and it's always a gamble i mean it's all a gamble but the ones who are trying to put out projects um i think are the ones to go for so i've i've hit a few so far that i've really started diving into and uh just trying to really dive into the the community and understand it all but i don't think it's too late i mean the the whole brc20 is going through a, cor- a correction right now i think it's about 60 percent has been wiped off its its total market cap i think it hit over a billion dollars at one point now it's down to like 400 million mm-hmm. right now is like a good time it's just that this this brc20 and ordinals is growing at exponential rates the whole ico bubble and stuff took like you know a year year and a half the the nft bull run was a year and a half these are happening literally in like two month installments as those like gains are happening and right now it's kind of moving back and forth started with ordinals and nft or started with uh, digital artifacts are called so started with digital artifacts then it moved over to brc20 now you got the dr the digital artifacts again are pumping right so everyone's like oh maybe it goes back to brc20 Mm-hmm. these new standards that you said with like SRC 20, mm-hmm. I just had Mike in space on, on my podcast, who's the creator of the stamps protocol. And right. So you're starting to see a lot more attention to SRC 20. Cause people are like, Oh, right. Same idea. Just go down the chain. You, there's LTC 20, which is the same thing for Litecoin. You also have mm-hmm. DRC 20 now for Dogecoin. <laughs> so, it, and, and I've dabbled in a lot of those. I've, I have some like sub 1000 Litecoin inscriptions. Uh, I've, I inscribed some DRC20s. It's just the infrastructure is the the, the key missing piece there. Those mm-hmm. communities on on Litecoin and and Dogecoin that are doing the kind of same thing. There's less capital, um, much less people, and the the big issue with with Litecoin is they don't have like a functioning wallet. The ones with Dogecoin is there's limitations to the technical capabilities because it doesn't have Segwit or Taproot, so. I think most people are logically thinking stamps is kind of like the next move with the SRC mm-hmm. and the different component for your users. Basically what stamps are is that you're inscribing data into the UTXO set. So actually like the transaction itself so that it can never be pruned. And what that means is the, the fear and you kind of starting to see this already in some of the like max Bitcoin maxi camps with, with inscriptions, what you're doing is you're taking you're opening up a sat and you're using taproot, which is a recent Bitcoin upgrade to basically put data inside of it. But what can happen is this idea of pruning, whereas like the node operators can decide to just like not accept that transaction or just wipe the data off of the nodes. So basically out of the history. Mm. So the fear is like as gas fees continue to increase, then maxis or, or the node operators themselves are just going to have to eventually just wipe out data because Right now, to download a node is like 600 gigabytes, something like that. It's crazy, right? It's going to take up like your whole computer mm-hmm. and data storage. So if this continues to grow, there's going to have to be trade-offs. People are going to have to uh, not accept certain types of data into their nodes. And so they they feel that, some feel that ordinals are going to be the one to go. So Stamps yeah. found this way to actually permanently put the data in an UTXO, which is actually like the transaction of, of, it, of Bitcoin itself. 
and it basically like sh- goes into shards and then you can kind of like reconfigure it later. It's a little bit more expensive on the gas and it's cool. I, I actually was kind of on the ground floor of the stamp stuff and like made some stamps in the like sub 200, sub 300. So like there was literally like 10 people in this, in this telegram group at the time that I'd got in and I don't know, but I do, I do think like SRC 20, I don't know what the utility is unless it kind of follows the same models is interesting. But those two, yeah, definitely are the ones to watch. Yeah. Uh, where are you Where are you storing your coins? Ledger? Yeah, so Ledger, yeah, I've been following that whole, that whole uh, situation unfold over the last few days. Honestly, not surprised by it in, in any essence. Um, the most secure thing you should do is probably have a paper wallet. If, if you really want to go to the old school... Put it into yeah. a put yourself on a paper wallet and go hide it somewhere, right? Whether you're doing it safe or grandma's house or or putting it in a bank or safety deposit box, split into three of them. There's a lot of different methods you could do. And so there's always going to be trade-offs. Did Ledger like screw themselves? Probably. Um, <laughs> am I buying other hardware wallets? I've I have multiple hardware wallets for multiple companies. So I'm always trying to try them out. So it's never important to just put it all into one place. Um, always spread it into different hardware wallets or mm-hmm. paper wallets or these different types of um, methods of storage. They've they fucked themselves. Yeah. At the, at the- <laughs> I think the only way that they can unfuck themselves is if they go open source completely. Yeah. But once you do that, then, you know, you kind of remove the proprietary technology, um, the owners, and, you know, you basically wipe out your equity um in all of that sense that's kind of like a similar idea that happens or a discussion that we have at emblem vault because we are partially closed source um from the the emblem or from the vault creation perspective mm-hmm. but the contracts are open source and a lot of people want open source but they don't know actually what it means or people want let me excuse me people want decentralization they want fully decentralized products but they don't actually know what that means. People just want you to open source it and call it a day. It's generally not that easy. I'll use Emblem Vault just because I work there as a team member. We have right now 45,000 vaults. And there's about 45,000 ETH that's been traded. Uh, and there's probably somewhere of eight mid-eight figures in these vaults, right? That is stored. Can you, can you, can you just backtrack a little bit? I don't want to interrupt you, but just what is Emblem Wallet? Like for the, for the audience, you know, mm-hmm. what, what yeah, is so, the actual value proposition? So the Emblem Vault, uh, it's been around for, for a little while. Um, started out actually on Bitcoin in 2016 and moved to Ethereum in 2019. It's a way to facilitate uh, trading across blockchains without a bridge or wrapping. So what I mean by that is... Like ThorChain. Kind of. This is more of a technology uh, itself or a tool. So w- what you do is there's an NFT. It's an ERC-721, and it has a deposit address for 12 different blockchains inside of it. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, Litecoin, blah, 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 all the way down the board. And what you could do is you could send a Bitcoin NFT, whether it's on Counterparty or an Ordinal or a Stamp or whatever, because it, it acts just as a wallet, you can send those assets in here or into the vault, and then you mint it, mint the vault, and now you have a basically a Bitcoin NFT or we'll say an ordinal inside of an ERC seven twenty one token, which is just uh, which is just like a bunch of wallet addresses. So what you're basically doing is trading the private keys to that ordinal. 
um, and you could sell it on OpenSea. So a lot of users went and realized this during the bull run. We'll go back to 2021. The Rare Pepe community, which is one of the earliest crypto art projects that started on Bitcoin in 2016 to 2018, is the first real Pepe project, kind of like the birth of decentralized crypto art. Users saw this bull run happening. They knew all the liquidity was on Ethereum. The, the ecosystem of Bitcoin NFT trading is quite inefficient. It's getting much better. But uh, two years ago, using X-Chain is just like a real big pain in the ass to do. So they're taking these rare Pepe's, putting them individually inside of a vault, and then selling them on OpenSea for Ethereum. And so in the matter of like two weeks, you saw rare Pepe's put up about like 20,000 ETH in volume in September and August. And this is when Ethereum was, I don't know, $4,000 or something like that. So mm -hmm. lots of volume was going through. And uh, now it's grown to just like how it be home to basically anything that's not an Ethereum NFT or excuse me, anything that's basically not an, an EVM compatible uh, NFT. So things on Dogecoin, Litecoin, Bitcoin, Namecoin, et cetera. Cardano. Cardano, you can. I don't think we don't have Cardano integrated yet, but you can essentially do that. We want to add more support. We're just kind of like all over the place right now doing so many things. Mm. And yeah, you take you could take your so for example, we'll use the recent one, Bitcoin Punks, right? Bitcoin Punks is the it's li literally just all ten thousand or crypto punks just inscribed on Bitcoin. When the Ordinals movement blew up in February. What was happening was there was no wallet infrastructure, lack, lack of wallet infrastructure, lack of liquidity. So the Bitcoin punks community was putting their punks in vaults and then selling them on OpenSea. And you saw about 3,000 ETH in volume in like a weekend um, from this because people, you know, people are just like accustomed to trading on Ethereum. They have mm -hmm. been. I think that's always going to be the most liquid market. It's always going to have pretty frictionless trading because of smart contract functionality, which doesn't exist on Bitcoin. And we get these like bursts of waves. Stamps also use emblem vaults, right? Just more liquidity. It, they kind of use it what, until infrastructure improves or liquidity improves um, in essence of that. So at emblem vault, um, I forgot where I was actually going with this. <laughs> <laughs> to sum it all up, but Emlyn Vault is just a way for you to be able to trade and get the liquidity that you need. Yeah, it's cross to you. Yeah, so it's it's a, it's a pretty big multi-chain tool. Uh, it's also yeah. deployed on Polygon and on Binance Smart Chain. So you could go take your Bitcoin Punk, go sell it on Polygon, go sell it on on uh, Binance Smart Chain. And some people prefer those because there's a low gas environment, as we were talking about gas fees. The other, I think it was like two weeks ago, the Bitcoin uh, miner fee sats per V byte. Was around 500 while the meme coin training was happening on ethereum and the gas fees on ethereum were 200 so the fees <laughs> on were actually double what it was on ethereum which was 200 gas fees already ridiculous right so 500 i was like what the hell so <laughs> users in that situation they'll go sell their stuff on like polygon or on binance where gas fees are literally pretty much non-existent in that type of essence so i've been at emblem vault since november uh, and I get to the, the cool part of, of this is you get to be uh, at the forefront and, and kind of in the frontier of whatever the emerging technology is. So mm -hmm. I, that's how I got really or dove really deep into ordinals, although I was aware of them before they blew up. 
is because we have to provide this type of like infrastructure and technology for them. So you're in, you're literally in the trenches talking with them, trying to figure out what the situation is, what's wrong with the code, um, identifying all the different issues and uh, really just guiding people. Uh, if you go on like the Emblem Vault YouTube page, I've put out literally probably 30 tutorial videos and medium posts just of like trying to explain how all this different stuff works. And this is where I spend most of my, uh, most of my time now. Um, full-time employee there. I've been there for, yeah, that's almost seven months now. It's been quite a wild ride. Uh, but th it's also one of the reasons why I'm so bullish on multi a multi-chain future. And yes. in, in, in the or ordinal space, you, you I've noticed, and maybe it's because I work on the back end and talk with all these different teams. You have a, a convergence of ETH community, Stacks community, Bitcoin community, and the Bitcoin SV community uh, converging together to build products. And those who are trading ordinals in BRC20 are generally coming from a different chain. And so they have no problem uh, go, stepping outside of that Bitcoin maximalist camp and using Ethereum to trade or, uh, right, or going to use Stacks for the L2 for, for less gas fees. They have no problem with that. And I just, I think that's where the future is going is it's not going to be Bitcoin only. It's going to be blockchain and Bitcoin or Bitcoin and blockchain, right? Completely different mm -hmm. of how it was before. And uh, yeah, multi-chain, just super, super bullish on that. And uh, it just, it comes down to like one of our mottos at, at Emblem is meet collectors where they are or meet traders where they are. Mm -hmm. Some people are just much more comfortable trading on Solana and they don't want to go to Bitcoin but they would like to buy Bitcoin NFTs. So we're trying mm -hmm. to build, build tools so you could take the Bitcoin NFTs right to Solana so that you can kind of meet them there and then they can trade and facilitate, facilitate trading in their most comfortable uh, habitat or ecosystem. Uh, but we know I, I'm pretty confident though that uh, Ethereum is probably going to be the most liquid market when it comes to NFTs. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Uh, most Bitcoin NFT uh, community members are more collectors than they are traders. I know there is trading, but mm. you, you have, I mean, you have a technology called like PSBTs, partially signed Bitcoin transactions, which mm. allows you to trade at a more rapid pace, but there still is always going to be limitations because of the simplicity of Bitcoin itself. And that's where you get the trade off to Ethereum or Binance Smart Chain or Polygon or, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's quite interesting because I, I'm also a firm believer that interoperability is, is the future, you know, um, I, I, I'm looking at stuff like Cosmos, you know, I'm huge into into the Cosmos and Cosmos ecosystem, what they're building there. And um, I, I think that this crypto tribalism, you know, I'm, you know, I, I just don't get it. Um, maybe because I'm, you know, you've been in much longer than me. Has this thing, has this always existed? When did it start? Could you, if you just maybe walk me through the history of it? Because I'm just like, why are people like in love with their bags? Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it, man. If you can maybe break it down to me a little bit. There's always been tribalism. I think there always will be internet tribalism is a thing. I mean, even if you go to some of the, the popular social platforms like 4chan and Reddit and, and even Twitter and Facebook, a lot of these people are very territorial over their, uh, their identities, their communities, right. Their belonging. Right. There's so many jokes about Reddit mods becoming territorial and right, just censoring people, different things like that. And now you take that idea and then you financially incentivize people to be to territorial, right? To pump their bags, right, or to be protective. And it's this it's this weird mix of first incentives, financialization, 
uh, and then fil- philosophical and ideological beliefs. The most pure Bitcoin maximalists, right? They believe that everything's a shitcoin, and you know they're probably right. Most of them are, uh, but they believe B- B- Bitcoin is pure. It represents like a lot of their political beliefs. It, it represents like their their ways of life and living, and it's really hard to kind of pull that out from them and extrapolate it into into other ideas. So, especially, I think in crypto too, getting in early is a, a huge component of territorialism. If you get in super early, you feel like you're on the ground floor of something and it continues to grow and grow, right? You're just going to continually market that type of product so that, you know, you, you can, so you could get rich. And it's, 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 it's kind of the same idea when you follow or you start listening to a podcast very early, right? Or, or you, you find a new social media platform like TikTok, if you got on TikTok early, and you grow with it, you have this like sense of belonging, but you have this sense of ownership because also as the platform grows, right, the attention grows on on your uh, on your account. Or my podcaster, I started watching Joe Rogan pretty early. It was around like episode like four hundred or something like that. And so I still listen to him, not as much as I used to, but it, it felt like I grew with Joe like that entire time because he was growing. I was getting, uh, you know and entertainment, information, sense of belonging. And so now let's take that type of idea and move it to crypto. Bitcoin started in 2009. Use cases didn't really exist. 2011, you saw the first altcoin with Namecoin pop up. And altcoins were just going crazy for a few years there. Then Ethereum came out in 2015. And then you had the ICO bubble in 2017, right? And with, and and I think Ethereum was kind of this like, big changing point adding smart contracts having letting people kind of add or build a product into this decentralized app store of ethereum it really pulled away uh, a lot of those bitcoiners into like a more uh, i guess you could say it's like a an ecosystem that has more flexibility and more utility to it and that causes a lot of animosity, right? Because now your community is being severed, right? So you have some people now casting their ideological beliefs uh, at each other. People are saying, oh, right, you're, you're a sellout, whatever the case is. <laughs> and it caused a lot of friction. And it, uh, that same idea happened with Bitcoin, with the Bitcoin Bitcoin Cash fork in 2017. It was a very contentious time. Nobody knew what was going to happen. You had uh, miners uh, in the Bitcoin Cash uh, I guess camp. You had them spending billions of dollars to try to have this like minor extractive warfare against one another, and it, I think it caused a big decline in the Bitcoin culture. And now with ordinals, it's kind of revived that. Uh, Bitcoin was it felt like it was dead. I mean, it was always there, but they always called it right the boomer coin. It was just something that implicit, simple, simple, simply exists. And to us, it feels simple, right? To anybody else outside of crypto, when they go into Bitcoin, they're like, what the fuck is this, right? Like, what, <laughs> miners, what, did verification, nodes, confirmations, what does all this mean? And now, as you see this new culture, it's kind of reviving Bitcoin. And we record this during the Bitcoin NFT conference. They allowed the ordinals in, right? Because it exists on Bitcoin. Now you're getting, you're introducing this new type of thought. And it feels like the maximalist culture is now fading uh, into the background. You have louder voices coming from the NFT ecosystem, right? You probably have a bunch of scammers who are going to come into it as well. But it, it is satisfying 
some of those core Bitcoiner beliefs of right decentralization, self sovereignty, and if BRC twenties and and ordinals exist on L one, right there there's like it loses that that type of territorialism loses uh, some of that uh, impact because everything that's being created is satisfying those. So the mm-hmm. the so now you have this more. Uh, there's friction. Uh, I would say this this more vibrant community of of creators and entrepreneurs from all these ecosystems coming in, trying to satisfy the OGs and trying to build these like decentralized products. And if you move outside of Bitcoin, the territorialism is just vying for number two in the smart contractor world, right? Ethereum hates Solana because Solana has has threat to overtake them. Is the same thing as. Bitcoiners hated Ethereum because Ethereum threats Bitcoin, right, to overtake number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's just there's so many different philosophies that are intertwined uh, within that animosity and contention that it's really hard to know directly what it is, right? It's kind of the same thing of Reddit versus 4chan. And I don't think you'll ever get territorialism away, especially in a completely digital economy where you have anons and pseudo anon accounts and larps and right grifters and all these different people who don't have to take essentially accountability on the words that they say or the the capital that they invest because they're hiding behind a screen or they're they uh they're creating this this fake personality uh, in essence so it'll never go away it just becomes who's the most powerful community and most powerful voices in those communities to help guide that ideology uh, in the right direction and to just kind of end it here bitcoiners are in this conversation and bitcoiners were led by the maximalist takes since 2017 after that bitcoin cash fork up until kind of like now they still have loud voices but uh, they're turning, <laughs> but it's 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 fading and so those loud voices for four or five years were, were in the driver's seat, and now they're not anymore. And so maybe there's another civil war that happens, but uh, the culture the culture is definitely changing. Territorialism, the viewpoint of it, is also changing as well. Um, and I think as this idea of a multi-chain future uh, becomes more fruitful, the ecosystem has more implementations, right? Emblem Vault, uh, I'm just to pump my own bags, right? Emblem Vault is deployed on every chain. You could go take Solana NFTs and go sell them on Bitcoin. You could go take Bitcoin NFTs, go sell it on Cardano. I think once that ecosystem, um, right, bridges, are, the idea of a bridge becomes uh, much more secure in those type of projects and tooling, um, has frictionless experience, I think territorialism um, will fade, or at least the the loud territorialism uh, that uh, you know prevents users from from entering the space. I think that'll fade as well once that happens. Jake, this has been great, man. Um, I, I want to continue this honestly for another <laughs> one hour. Uh, maybe I can bring you back again onto the show. You have a wealth of knowledge, man. It's it's quite interesting to hear you talk because. Um, you know, you're you're very, very sophisticated in your level of articulation. So I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your your level of expertise, you know, in the space, man. And where can people find you on the Internet? Yeah, well, first, I appreciate you for having me on. I would love to come back. Uh, if you want to go another hour, dude, next time, if you want to go two, three hours, uh, always down. I used to record. Uh, so my podcast, I've done I, almost 270 episodes. 
I, I used to record like three hour uh, episodes because I love like Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss's models when I had first started podcasting. And so yeah. I replicated it. Uh, unfortunately, you realize that most people don't have that type of intention span, right? So it just becomes more just uh, on the host and the and the guest of just connecting. And then maybe some of the most true fans. You can find me on uh, Twitter, easy. Social media is just Jake Gallen, J-A-K-E-G-A-L-L-E-N. Twitter, I'm most active. That's the best place to find me. But I also YouTube channel and podcast. Podcast called Jake Gallen's Guest List. Comes with a, kind of the background of, of being uh, born and raised in Las Vegas. YouTube, I'm on Instagram, but yeah, anybody who's, who follows, reach out to me. If you have any questions, I'm always down to help anybody, always down to have a conversation. As long as I'm not caught up in the, in trying to find the next uh, BRC 20, 10,000 bagger, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Jake, man. Oh, the, one more thing too, man. I followed you on LinkedIn and no follow back, bro. Oh, uh, my up? bad. My bad. Did What's you, up, what, man? What, I, dude, I rarely ever go on LinkedIn. So let me, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, man, check that out, man. I was I was so disappointed, man. Like I was crying on the sofa. You know, super dude, sad. Dude, link, I, LinkedIn is the worst when it comes to um, like promoted DMs. Like the amount of those that I get, where it's like, "Hey, I'm in I'm in Web three. Let's talk and have a conversation." But it's like it's just like an automated message. Like <laughs> literally hundreds of those a week. So it's yeah. just like I do the my like my DM box is literally full. I'm just like I can't even keep up with this because a lot of it's just like bots that are just automated to accounts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, dude, just shoot shoot me a message again on LinkedIn so it could come to the top of, uh, of my <laughs> message board and then uh, your spam board. <laughs> dude, it's I, I'm telling you if I if I showed the screen with with like LinkedIn DMs, it's got to be at least like 50 like unopened ones. <laughs> <laughs> So all right man mass. but there's there's some good content on linkedin is just uh oh man it's become just a, a place of spam yeah all right jake man guys so this has been another great episode of the mooncast man and peace love it see you mooners <laughs>